Welcome back to the podcast. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so excited for this episode because we get to talk about a whole new thing that we don't really have ever talked about before. Luckily for us, a good friend of the podcast, Kevin Pig, moved over to ASPCA or ASPA. We're gonna make we're gonna make fun of that a little bit. The A team is what they actually got. Please actually don't use that name that I just came up with. But they are really phenomenal. Kevin was telling me all about all the different things they do. And he said, hey, you need to have Susan Anderson on here. She is the director of uh, disaster operations, I believe. And so she can talk about um, her role there. I might have messed up the, the title, but either way, she's working in disasters. So I'm so excited for her to be on this podcast. Susan, welcome to the show. Thanks, John. Great to be here. All right, Susan. First of all, did I get your title right? You were close. It's oh. director of disaster response, but... Oh, well, disaster good. response. Hey, uh, <laughs> that's pretty cool. As a guy who loves disaster response and understands the need for pulling in all the emergency support functions and the different aspects of the response, you know, sometimes there's like different things that inherently get overlooked. And that's a major, major problem. And one of those things we always joke around is finance admin. All the people in finance admin right now are like, yes, please don't forget me. The other thing is animals. In fact, several years ago um, on the national strike team, we did an exercise where they only looked at evacuating a zoo and it totally changed our entire concept of what was, was what we were trying to look at. And I've talked about it before on the podcast. So for the other listeners looking on the, the podcast about Hurricane Harvey, we had done that exercise in 2017, Hurricane Harvey hit. And there was an adjacent issue during Hurricane Harvey that we would have totally had no understanding on. But because of that exercise and understanding the unique needs of the zoo, we would look at that. So your your field might be a little different than that. But animals, we have that connection there. Either way, Susan, can you give us a little bit about your background, how you became the, uh, the director of disaster response and really what the mission is of the A-team over there? Absolutely. I actually spent most of my career in the government sector. I worked as a county fire marshal for cool. almost 20 years, and then I uh, switched gears a little bit and went to managing animal protection and uh, the code enforcement uh, programs for the county here in southwest Washington. Um, but in the background, I always had an interest and a real um, passion for working with animals and helping animals. So mm -hmm. I kind of quenched, quenched that by doing volunteer work for local humane societies. Um, and I've been a member of the Oregon Humane Society's technical animal rescue team for about 11 years. Wow. Um, but I was so excited to get this opportunity to work for the ASPCA. Um, we just shorten it, call ourselves the A amongst ourselves. I love it. The A. It, yeah. It's a long one. It's a mouthful. Um, <laughs> but this position came up and, uh, I'm, I'm so excited. I've been with the ASPCA for about two and a half, uh, years now wow. and, um, trying to bring that local emergency and disaster response, uh, experience and that love for helping animals to this role. And it's been a great learning opportunity and I'm so great to, are so happy to be speaking with you and your listeners about planning for animals in disasters. What I find most fascinating about that story is I had a, a similar experience where I was kind of scratching the itch doing like the volunteer work. And eventually the itch got too big where I went full time on doing what I'm doing. 
how what was the catalyst for you to say like hey like not just a hobby i want to do this full time especially as a lot of our listeners make career changes constantly in order to be able to find different things we have a lot of military and fire and police who switch over to emergency management for example what was the catalyst for you to kind of go full time with this really i was just ready for a change i was ready to do something different i um, had just finished up my master's degree in public administration and was just looking for new opportunities. Um, this presented itself. And I find in animal welfare that happens a lot where people have had a pretty lengthy career in some field or other. And then um, they just they get to that point where, hey, I'm going to finish up my career with something that I really love doing and that means a lot to me and is more mission mission focused. Real quick, we're gonna pause for this week's Disaster Tough endorsements. The L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio solves problems and is specifically designed for emergency services. How do we know? We field tested it with medical, urban search and rescue and collapse and confined structures. This radio is amazingly tough. Check out the L3 Harris Extreme 400P radio at L3Harris.com right now. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. The Readiness Lab is trailblazing disaster readiness. Early access for the highly anticipated course, Emergency Management Response for Dynamic Populations is currently live. Space is limited to 40. Go to thereadinesslab.com forward slash training to learn more. Okay, let's jump back in. I think that's why a lot of first responders become emergency managers so they can finally do something worthwhile. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> the, uh, so let's talk about the, the mission of uh, the A, the A team, right? Um, I'm going to call it the A team because uh, you are there because Kevin Pig is there and that's amazing people. Kind of makes sense. Also, I, I don't know if you guys listen to the song by Usher a lot about the A, which would be awesome. Just play in the background constantly, but um, <laughs> really about Atlanta. But either way, like what is your mission as an organization? Like what's the scope of work there? Absolutely. So I recognize many of your listeners probably don't know who we are, but um, we are the American Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals. Um, and this organization is the oldest uh, animal welfare organization in the country, or sorry, in the United States, um, and one of the largest in the world. And so I'm a part of the national field response team for the A. Um, so we're just one small department within the overall organization. Um, so while the A's mission is to provide um, effective means to prevent cruelty to animals throughout the country, mm -hmm. NFR, uh, the National Field Response Team specifically, um, stands ready to support animals uh, in communities across the U.S. that face disasters and other significant emergencies. So mm -hmm. our work spans all phases of the emergency management cycle. And uh, we are here to provide much needed resources to organizations, both at local and state levels. When you're talking about animals, there's um, like in, even like, are you talking about livestock? Are you talking about, uh, you know, pets and, you know, residential? Are you talking about service animals? Like, are you talking about, you know, like when I mentioned the zoo, like what is your when you say animals, like even within that, 
are you doing the entire scope or is there a specific focus within that scope? We tend to focus on what we would call companion animals. So um, it would be pets and uh, farm animals as well. Pets and farm animals. Okay. So the reason why I asked about farm animals, and I'm, this is leading here, I'm just hyper curious. So you just tell me um, if, you know, if you like this direction or not. But um, on the news lately, there's been a lot about um, the, the wild horses and trying to corral wild horses. And um, if you're talking about like the prevention of cruelty to animals, I understand it might be outside the scope of disasters. But even in disasters, there was a wildfire I was at where the wildfires were in, in, um, coming up to a lot of farms with uh, tons of horses. And there was an issue of trying to get these horses out. Like, what is, how would you approach this topic? And... Um, is this something that is a high priority on your list? Well, for us, that would come down first to preparedness. And so we, of course, are encouraging um, both emergency managers and the communities they serve to be prepared ahead of when the disaster strikes. So regardless of what kind of animal you're responsible for, you're going to want to have a plan for those animals in the event of any type of uh, emergency or disaster that is likely to strike your community. Um, mm -hmm. And that's what it comes down to is including animals in our plans. And that's, that's a big part of what we're pushing for is to elevate this throughout emergency management and just make it part of the norm. Yeah. Part of the norm is uh, probably a good way to look at that. Um, just going back though, like with all those logistically, the logistics mission of getting um, large animals like horses, cows, livestock out of there um, is, uh, is a difficult situation. I was in, uh, gosh, where was that? Georgia. We went through a, a tornado and they had to put down a lot of chickens I had no idea how large these chicken farms were when they were talking about the numbers and uh, that kind of thing. Um, in terms of your last two and a half years of being with the A, um, is there a, an experience or is there an event to you that really stands out of uh, maybe like the good, the bad, and the ugly for, hey, this is how it's done right. Ooh, hey, here's some lessons learned. Where, In terms of those two and a half years, can you give some experiences there? Well, starting with the ASPCA, my first uh, disaster deployment was actually for Hurricane Ida in oh. uh, southern Louisiana in 2021. So mm. go big or go home, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I was thrust into that situation. Um, fortunately, the state of Louisiana has their act together and um, they are serve as a great example. There's There's other good examples as well. But um, their Department of Agriculture and Forestry, um, as well as their state animal response team, um, are very well prepared, very well looped in with their local, regional, and national partners. And none of us can do this alone, right? So it comes down to those, those relationships and those partnerships that you have in place ahead of uh, dark skies. Um, so for Hurricane Ida, we were activated along with some other national partners um, that deal with animal welfare and animal issues. And we were able to do a ton of great work, assist in several different parishes that were impacted by that uh, you know, horrendous storm. Mm. Um, and I, I really can't pick out anything ugly necessarily, but you know, we always struggle with communication and coordination to some extent. And so um, 
while these different national groups came in to help the locals and we're, you know, in a way we're competitors actually, because we're all nonprofits. We're all competing right. for, for dollars um, from donors. Um, but we actually were able to work together and we all had the same mission, which was to help these communities, um, the animals and the people that have been impacted. So um, it, it's those, those relationships, like I said, that are so critical um, to, to these missions and to helping as many people and animals as possible. Uh, I have uh, a small plug and uh, also a follow-up question. So the, the plug is this. On August 1st, um, myself and Zach Borst from EM Weekly are going to be on a webinar with L3 Harris talking about a new kind of hurricane responder, specifically because he and I, as responders, are just so tired of every single after-action report talking about communications. One, it's needed on every AAR right now, but two, we want to get beyond that. And so there's a small plug for L3 Harris for that, for that uh, webinar. So if you're listening to this podcast, make sure you check out that webinar. But in terms of following up with Hurricane Ida, my first hurricane with FEMA was Hurricane Matthew. And uh, it was essentially, we, we prepped for a type one event and then it just skirted the coast. It, it could have been a lot worse for Florida where I was stationed at for that, um, that event. Um, but there was a lot of, oh, this is how we do it internally. Like there's a lot of the aha moments for you switching over to huge disaster right in the beginning, going down to Louisiana. What were your, some of your big moments of like, oh, uh, I need to start doing this. This was, uh, this kind of a lesson learned specifically to maybe like, uh, even like preconceptions, were they different? Were they the same? What were the, what were the big takeaways for you? Well, I mean, it was massive learning experience for me going from local fire, you know, single family home fires, apartment fires, some mm. wildfires um, that I responded to and investigated when I was in my prior career. I mean, this was this was off the charts huge for me. Um, mm. Just the level of coordination that was needed, the, the level of different communication that was required. Um, and just trying to figure out where the needs were, what the gaps were, and then partnering those with re resources that we had available and just trying to work together um, mm -hmm. to impact as much as we possibly could while we were on the ground. Um, we ended up having, I think it was 90, it was around 90 responders, both staff and volunteers um, that cycled through Southern Louisiana for close to two months, mm. um, you know, as, as the immediate uh, response and recovery took place. Um, so it was a massive operation on our part and our partners part. Um, mm. It was exciting. This was the first time I was meeting the uh, Louisiana state representatives. It was the first mm. time I was meeting their animal response team representatives. And, you know, it was a crazy time. Um, mm. We were camping in a parking lot, you know, <laughs> it was, it was, it was amazing. Um, but you know, that. it was all, it was a great learning experience and we were able to make improvements going forward, just like we do after every response. Um, so our, our uh, planning is definitely more, uh, more impactful now, more mm. effective. Um, we're communicating regularly with our partners down in awesome. Louisiana and other states in the Gulf. Um, and just, just keeping the conversation going and, and talking about, Hey, how can we do it better next time? That's awesome. You're, you're saying all the same things that I thought 
after my first hurricane with, uh, in fact, pretty much every hurricane. Hurricane Harvey, I bring up a lot because I thought I knew what big was. And then Hurricane Harvey hit. And uh, I was like, oh, this is type one. Um, and then it's funny enough, I this between you know, between you and me and the audience, I went to wildfires, which were obviously massive and devastating, and don't want to take away from that at all. But in, in terms of the geographic size and the number of people impacted were so much smaller. And I got out there and there was a regional team out there, and they were they were you know, funny enough, underwater with the amount of things and the amount of coordination that still has to happen. And I get it, and no disrespect to any of that. But in terms of the scale, it was just so much smaller that I felt like it was easy, right? And it was just like, oh, man, like I didn't want to like take away from that experience at all. But when you're thrown into something huge and you know it's huge and it's all these people are working through it, it does change the, the calculus a little bit. And, uh, you know, what an awesome opportunity for you specifically to maybe feel like you're accomplishing this amazing mission from somebody who went to volunteer to full time and to see the immediate impact of like how big this stuff is, especially from your perspective. I do have a question though, because I've had a, a few people from the fire service on here. And so I love thinking about the coordination and collaboration piece from somebody who has moved over from fire to more of the, like the EM world of the coordination collaboration piece mm -hmm. in terms of emergency management specific what can we do better that you, maybe some aspects from the fire service you're like oh this was this was amazing that we did in the fire coming over to the disaster responder perspective i wish they would be able to implement x what would be your x how can we improve as a field well i, I think this would apply locally um, as well as to the field in general it's really just um, coming from the animal welfare side of things, it's just elevating the role of animals in in the planning and response mm. um, and and seeking out subject matter experts that can help you with that. So not just assuming that you have the answers, but actually going to the experts who are more than happy to to take a look at your plan and suggest uh, some some improvements for that. Mm. Um, you know, we look at the human animal bond and how important companion animals are to people, especially in a time of crisis. I mean, the last thing we want to hear about is someone who just lost their home and then they have to surrender their pets because they don't have a safe place to take them yeah. to stay, for example. Yeah. Um, so just really elevating and thinking about that and planning for that from day one so that we don't, you know, people aren't having to make those, those heart wrenching choices in times of crisis. Yeah. I think that's, uh, there's a story about that in Japan. Um, there's a really great case study, uh, specifically related to how the, the emotional trauma that people go through and how to overcome those traumas. And, um, you know, nutrition's a big one. Mm -hmm. um, schedule is another big one, but if you're surrendering this pet on a huge emotional toll that that would have to take, um, that, that would be, that, that's a consideration that we all need to think about more and more and more about how to get a survivor back to normal, um, emotionally, physically, um, so that they can operate so they can take care of the things that they'll need to take care of, whether it's insurances or finding a new place to live or what, whatever separating from that animal just has to be 
you know, you're taking taking a loved one in a way. Um, now, I will say as a as a guy who had pets growing up and now I have children, I got to say that when people say pets are the same thing as their kids, that's not true. I will keep my kid over my pet any day of the week. However, I will say that that emotional bond I de- I deployed constantly when I was on the strike team. My wife, the 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 cat that we had became a, like an emotional animal for her, like a companion for her. And so when I came home from a deployment one time, I was kind of a guy who didn't really get it before. And I was like, hey, we got this uh, we got this cat. I'm never going to do surgery on this cat. I'm not going to pay for all the other extra stuff. And so when I came home and my wife said the cat's sick, I was I was in such a state of disaster response that I didn't care. Meaning, of course, we're going to give go to the doctor with this cat. Of course, we're if it needs surgery or whatever, we'll do it. But she was still thinking of me from years prior when I was like, I'm not going to do anything because I'm a jerk. And so uh, when she came up and she said, hey, honey, like, I'm really worried about this cat. She was worried about my reaction. But I again, I was in a a whole other state of mind. And I was just like, yeah, let's take it to the the doctor. And um, watching my wife uh, go through the process of taking the cat in, worrying about me because, you know, she's worried that I'm going to still be a jerk. Um, and then the cat needing surgery and and the whole deal. Um, you know, I saw the, the emotional connection my wife had to this animal because I was gone nine months a year. You know, if you can, if you add it all together Mm -hmm. and I was like, Oh, like this needs to like, this cat needs to survive. Like no matter what, this cat needs to be alive so that my wife can have that emotional consistency, uh, especially with somebody going away all the time. And so I instantly changed my view on how people view the relationship with their companion pets, their, their, their pets, whatever. Um, and to understand that that emotional tie, these loving creatures, these simple animals, um, can really help sustain people, uh, really changed my view on, on that from a personal level. And to think about survivors and that thinking about you, especially my wife, you know, like if we had if something happened to our house and she had to be separated from the animals and I was deployed even how awful that would be for her emotionally. She would get through it. She's tough cookie. But it, it, why why go through that experience? Right. Add the consistency. Absolutely. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, people will always come first, of course. But, um, you know, we also have to recognize the importance that animals play in many Americans' lives. Um, The vast majority of Americans have one or more pets. Mm. And, um, you know, we've done a survey in 2021 and found that 83% of of pet owners live in communities that face natural disasters. So you just, you run the numbers and it benefits everybody to prepare and plan to take care of animals as well as people in, in the communities we serve. So what's the solution then? Because I know a lot of uh, shelters don't really allow pets, right? There's, there's all these things. Um, I'm a big uh, fan of mini horses. I know people usually laugh at that. I kind of laugh at that. I'm a huge fan of mini horses. But as far as my limited understanding, mini horses as service animals or as dog as service animals may be allowed. How is your organi- uh, uh, organization addressing the problem of animal and human separation and disaster. How do you overcome that problem? 
Sure. I mean, there's some, there's actually some good news um, around emergency sheltering. The, uh, the American Red Cross, um, and we work with them, they're actually, we're all, all members of a uh, coalition called the National Animal Rescue and Sheltering Coalition. Cool. Um, and that's one of the things we're, we're working on as we speak. Uh, the Red Cross, um, in this is amazing development, um, they are developing a model for pet-friendly sheltering for their oh, wow. shelters which is huge, right? Yeah. Um, and so we're so glad that they have come to um, both the ASPCA and some of our other um, national organization partners to talk about how they can best implement this model. What, what are the standards? What are the best practices? So we are working with them on, on how to build that model out and how to successfully implement that. So that's, that's huge. Um, sure. When it comes, comes to non-American Red Cross uh, shelters uh, during during disasters and evacuation shelters, as well as heating and cooling centers, because, mm. you know, when people are in 112 degree heat with no air conditioning and they go to a cooling center, what are they going to do with their pets uh, mm. to keep them safe during that extreme weather? Sure. Um, you know, we're working with uh, different partners in different states as well um, to try to incorporate animals into planning and being able to access those types of services. So mm. um, this is ongoing conversations. It's a huge topic and, um, you know, we're making strides in this. So that's, that's exciting. Um, but we would encourage counties, communities to not only offering, offer pet friendly sheltering and, and plan for that, um, as well as, you know, a big part of it is messaging that, right? So people need to know where they can go with their pets and mm. making sure that that messaging is, is effective and that that's happening. Um, but the other key thing is having pets sheltering supplies um, and a cache of those supplies in the community mm. if you need them. Um, so mm. we, we advocate for um, having trailers of pet sheltering supplies um, that you keep just, just in case you need it. So what would be some of those supplies? Obviously food. What else, uh, you know, <laughs> there, no, talking yeah. about a guy needs to learn, so please. Food, food's important, food's important. Yeah. <laughs> uh, um, but you have to have a, a way of containing the animals. So um, having crates that are large enough for the animal to comfortably stand up, turn around and sleep, mm. um, leashes, collars, food and water bowls, um, cat litter, cat litter boxes, um, some basic, you know, flea control, type uh, medications, um, access to veterinary care is another big one um, mm. that's that's important to have. If you don't have a veterinarian that's actually on site, at least having veterinarians that are on call in case you have some kind of uh, concern within your shelter. So I'm listening to this podcast right now as one of the audience members, and I'm like, I really care about pets. I really want to do something. I either want to volunteer or I want to make sure it's involved in my uh, my planning process uh is there like should you they go to a website first should they contact you know susan anderson like where where should they go to start making sure they're implementing this stuff correctly should they be hounding the hounding is probably a, a good pun there uh the red cross to make sure that their you know their animal shelters are are, are acceptable how do where do they go like where starting points well, they can, they can absolutely start with our website. It's ASPCA.org. Um, we do have information there for personal and pet preparedness, including 
a, a checklist that you can use to build out your own pet um, emergency go bags. Mm. Um, so if you experience cool. a prolonged power outage or have to evacuate your home for any reason, um, just like you would have a go bag for yourself and your family members with medications, um, food, water, basic necessities for several days. You also want to have um, the same kind of kit for your pets that have all of their basic needs, their bowls, their leashes, um, cat litter for the cats. Um, so we have all that information on our website. Um, the Red Cross website is also a great uh, source of information. And um, if you're actually, you know, in the emergency management field, if you work for an authority having jurisdiction um, for animal control, you're more than welcome to reach out to my team. And we are here to help you with your planning preparedness and to talk about partnering potentially um, so that those agreements are already in place. If a large scale incident does occur where your local resources and state resources are overwhelmed. Um, you can activate us to come in and we offer a, a variety of services all related to uh, caring for animals. That's awesome. It, do you guys also, uh, to help out responders, do you ever bring out animals to, for like the, uh, gosh, what is the, what are they called? When they bring out like an animal for like the responders to like pet or just like relax, is that within your scope or is that without your scope? That's that's not something we currently do. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but uh... the reason why I asked is because there was um again mini horse. There's a famous picture of me petting a mini horse at a joint field office. I was um, gosh, I was like my third or fourth week of twenty hour days, purely exhausted, sleep on the floor, go back to work, just just overwhelmed emotionally physically the whole deal and somebody from the team um well actually it was i think it was one of the local hires for um for the disaster they could see that everybody was just blasted we were all just done we were all exhausted and they coordinated with some group to bring in an, an animal uh and it was just like instant happy everybody was just like the the energy go up so even though that's outside your scope you know, uh, for the emergency managers out there, for those who respond to lots of disasters or those of people who meet like me, who've been to lots of disasters, uh, animals are a fantastic way to release some of that stress and to, to have like this emotional, you know, positive experience, um, instantly. So, um, while that's maybe outside the scope of this conversation, probably a good call out, um, Susan, um, thank you so much again for coming on the podcast, for telling people where they can go and, and bringing attention to a topic that's so incredibly important. 83% of pet owners live in a place with a major natural disaster. You talked about going to Louisiana. I bet you almost anything, if you haven't gone back, you will go back to Louisiana. Disasters happen all the time. The planning process should include um, animals absolutely in that process as just another part of the normal. And I loved how you, you started the podcast out with that. Susan, if you could give a last final uh, comments or advice to the audience who are listening to this podcast, what would you uh, provide them? Um, I would just say that we want to focus on, again, those, those relationships and building those partnerships because none of us are able to do it alone. Um, but the good news is you're not alone. Um, my colleagues and I are here. We're a resource. Um, we are more than happy to help you with uh, your planning and preparedness. And um, if you want to partner with us, um, you know, if, if uh, 
you you live in an area that has uh, you're prone to to extreme weather and natural disasters. Um, national partners are a great resource um, just in case your local resources are overwhelmed. I mean, here in the, the Pacific Northwest, where I'm based out of, you know, we're facing down uh, this massive Cascadia earthquake um, that could happen at any time. And so what I'm talking to my local and regional partners about is, you know, think about it. If this, when this thing hits, um, all the locals are going to be completely overwhelmed. Um, they're going to have their own families to worry about. And you're going to need those partners from outside the area to come in to assist because you're just you're not going to have have the uh, the folks available and the resources. So um, yeah. just something to think about. Um, so please do reach out if uh, you have any questions or would like any assistance. We're here for you. Excellent. And, and you talk about the mic drop like we're here for you. Great message that close with. You know, coordination collaboration is everything we talk about in emergency management. Emergency management is strategic coordination of emergency services. And as part of the emergency support functions and thinking about all the different parties that are involved with that, obviously, uh, you know, organizations like ASPCA or the A, I won't use my fake, my fake title for that again, but <laughs> doing that, um, obviously, um, you know what you're talking about. You have a, a great background on that. Again, grateful to big shout out to Kevin Pig for introducing us and for now his work over there at your organization. I seriously hope that emergency managers as they're listening to this, think about the impacts to life, property, and continuity of operations through the animal perspective. Using animals throughout that pr perspective, you can help survivors uh, get back on their feet faster emotionally and physically by keeping them with their, their animals. You can, you should think about those farms and those zoos and everything else that comes with the, the, you know, the animal care that should be going into that. If you're in an area where they have a lot of farms, like where I was at with the wildfires in California, please, please, please engage with them and let them know about resources like the ASPCA where they can get out there and start doing some better planning for these animals. So that's my last final call out. If you liked this episode, Please give us that five-star rating and subscribe. We say that every week, but we mean it. If you've done something to help out animals in your area, please go into social media, Disaster Tough Podcast. Put in some of your comments if you have questions on that. Of course, in our show notes, we'll put a link to her organization so you can make sure you can contact them. And um, we will see you for the next episode. Peace. Peace.